0: I was real blessed by uh, Charles got a chance to speak and share, and I was here, and I was real blessed by what he said, and at that moment, God put it on my heart just to have him come up, and and when I got back to share with you guys his testimony and just what U-Turn has meant to him, and because um, U-Turn is special to us here at this fellowship and and what God is doing, and to get to see... To get to be a part and to see what God is doing in your guys' lives is encouraging for us. And so hopefully you get to hear and see what God's doing in our lives too. And it's encouraging to you guys. And you know, this is a time where we get to come together to worship and to study God's word, but also to encourage one another. Time of fellowship is for encouragement so that the body of Christ might be edified, Paul writes in the book of Corinthians, where we are all sharing our gifts to, together. It's to build each other up, right? And I don't know about you, but if you're in this world six days of the week or seven days of the week, whatever, however many days you're out there in the world, uh, you, you come to church, you need a little building up, amen? Yes. Um, mark your calendars. I got one announcement. So this coming next Sunday is the last Sunday of the month. And the last Sunday of the month from this Sunday forward until... You're told otherwise, okay, we're going to be doing church in the amphitheater, a combined service at 10 o'clock. So next Sunday, combined service, one service at 10 o'clock in the amphitheater, and we're going to do that the last Sunday of every month. The, we're going to try to do a potluck along with that where the church provides uh, a, uh, some really delicious fried chicken. Everybody brings a side dish. There won't be a potluck this Sunday because, or the next Sunday because it's Memorial Day weekend, And also, it's graduation weekend, and so many people are already doing lots of things going on. And so we're going to kick off our our summer outdoor in the amphitheater. It's supposed to be like 80 degrees next Sunday. It's supposed to be real beautiful, so it's an awesome opportunity to worship outside, let the neighbors hear us, and um, to be be outside. So bring your chairs, bring your friends. If you don't bring a chair, there'll be chairs out here for you to use, as always. But we'll have the sunshades back up, and um, it'll be a really good time. So 10 o'clock. Next Sunday, no 8.30 service, no 10.30 service combined, and we'll get, and we wanted to do that too, just to continue to keep our fellowship as one. You know, we get these two service things going on, which is an awesome thing, but we don't want to lose the overall intimacy that we have with one another and knowing each other as, 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 as a church body, and so this is an opportunity to get together and as first and second service together. So, It'll be, Brandon uh, is going to put that up on Facebook also, uh, just reminding everybody, and then on the, the website, and, um, and uh, yeah, so there you go. Uh, before we get into the study, I think it's time for Charles to come up. Why don't you come up, Charles? Feel welcome, Charles. <laughs> check, 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 check. Here you go, buddy.
1: Good morning everyone. Uh, My name is Charlie and I'm currently at the men's ministry U-Turn for Christ and I'm going to give you a little story uh, about my life and how God has changed it. Uh, Growing up in Minnesota, uh, I grew up in a small Catholic family and we did religion. Uh, I I didn't know what a relationship with the Lord was um, at that young of an age. Uh, While growing up, um, I had a, a I developed a, a pretty dis, a dysfunctional relationship with my stepfather and uh, going on, uh, living with them through my family until uh, about middle school. Uh, I, lived with, uh, I ended up moving in with my grandparents. Uh, while living with my grandparents at an early age, uh, my aunt and uncle who love, live out here in Colorado Springs, they, um, he came, my uncle came to me one morning and asked me if I wanted to ask Jesus into my heart. And I was like, well, I'm sure, you know, I mean, I'm a little, little guy, I'm like, that sounds like something I should do. So, you know, I t- took my uncle's word and we sat down and we asked the Lord into my heart and, and uh, you know, that's I thought that's uh, the right thing to do, like I said. So then um, then eventually with uh, the my relationship with my stepfather grew more dysfunctional and and just, we were like oil and water, we just didn't mix. It's uh, He grew up with a, a big family, 13 brothers and sisters on the farm, really strict family. I was a, I was an only child raised by my mom, so I was kind of spoiled as a little kid. And and every time, you know, I got in trouble, I'd run to mom and, do, you know, do the typical stick-the-tongue-out-dad, out dad haha, i am with my mom, you know, type, type stuff. So uh, eventually I had to go live with, uh, my mom moved me out of the house, and I lived with my grandparents where, Um, I, in turn, gained a second mother in my life, and um, uh, I had a good childhood growing up uh, from there. I had a lot of friends, played a lot of sports in high school. I played golf, uh, wrestling, and basketball, and um, did did good in high school. And then I moved out to college, and I played uh, college football for a year and a half, and I played college golf uh, at some community college in Minnesota. And then eventually uh I started getting into the partying phase of my life and, and I started drinking and uh, that started taking over but, you know staying up all night, you know drinking going in so school started you know I just started throwing money at the state and not getting an education, so I figured it was time to go go start working so uh, I dropped out of college and <clears throat> and started working for my. I uh, worked for a year for my uncle uh in a construction company and And I eventually, first time I moved out here uh, to Colorado in 98 and um, lived out here for about three years and where I eventually started uh, my career, which I would guess I would hang my hat on if I were to say I had a career, I started with Papa John's um, and I quickly moved up through the the corporate ladder with them and, and ended up being a corporate trainer for them for I worked for the company for almost 13 years, um, and I was uh, moved back to Minnesota in 2001. Uh, became a corporate trainer for them, and I was basically uh, one of the guys that trained managers how to be their do their job and, and kind of help oversee 42 stores in a in a in a market. And my first store was a you know a million dollar restaurant when I was, you know, 20 22 years old. I'm running a million dollar restaurant with 40 some employees underneath of me, so it was. I kind of got shoved into the, the work and, and I lost sight of church completely. I was engulfed with work um, 65 hours a week just, you know, trying to run a restaurant, doing, you know, living in the world. And, and my partying got even more intense since so where I started, you know, using cocaine uh, back, in the, back then. And, and out of that, uh, I had my son Shane out of wedlock. He's going to be 17 this October. And um, I didn't actually find out about him until he was nine years old. So, and right before I moved out here in 2010, I found out about him about two months before I moved out here. And I already had plans to come out here. So, I haven't, uh, that's a, a big spot in my heart that I need to, uh, to fill and get, you know, get to know my son. And <clears throat> I've only met him like four times. So, and once I moved out here to Colorado, I mean, I got in a lot of trouble in Minnesota with a law uh, doing because of my parting and in 2010 uh, my aunt and uncle reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to come out here and get a fresh start in Colorado Springs I was and I absolutely needed to because I had you know about four to five years of prison hanging over my head from all my crimes and and, and drug abuse that I did in Minnesota so I moved out here and did good stayed clean and sober for a year and a half and you know, and I still wasn't connected with the church. I, I did it a little bit with my aunt and uncle, but I was, you know, one foot into the world and one foot in with the Lord. And and as I heard a, a pastor say a few weeks ago, you can't uh, you can't have two lords, and you definitely can't, you know, uh, do 25 percent. You got to be 100 percent with Jesus, otherwise it ain't gonna work. And uh, so I, I fell back into uh, into the life of crime uh, in about 2011. And it was a downward spiral. My drug addiction uh, ramped up completely exponentially. And it was every day, all day. Um, I you know, started selling drugs, uh, making drugs. Um, I was all in. And I didn't have time for church at all anymore. And I was in a downward spiral. <coughs> in a downward spiral. Um, and uh, it says, you know, as in Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I knew that I was in a downward spiral and I was dying spiritually. And I, if I kept the path, I was either going to end up a physical death in that lifestyle or I was going to end up in prison. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, one of them did happen. I had, did end up going to prison, and I got a nine-year prison sentence because of what I was doing. Um, out here in Colorado and I went back to uh, I went to DOC in probably December uh, 28th of 2012 and I did three years of prison out of that nine-year prison sentence Uh, I did my first year and a half at uh, uh, Bent County which is out on the uh, eastern uh, uh, plains and then I got transferred over on the other side of the state which was in Delta And that's where I got kind of, I started getting reconnected with the Lord out there. They had a really good uh, chaplain there. Um, They did a, they had their own, uh, they had their own church and everything, a separate building. And uh, I went through this, uh, I don't know if anybody's heard, it's called Kairos. Um, And I went through that, and that was probably one of the most amazing things that I went through. Um, Just, uh, it was a a four day, a three day, pretty just intense, you know, Bible study. Basically, just as a group, we had about 30 of us inmates, about 60 volunteers, and we went through three days, and and it really didn't, uh, I I really never experienced the the Holy Spirit until that that last day. Uh, I had no clue what was going on, but it was, we, our sanctuary, it seated about 300 people, and so it was a pretty big building for a prison. And uh, we went upstairs, and and we kind of got ready to just kind of do the ceremony the last day, and, and we came back downstairs, and there was 300 people. I had no clue singing and praising us, and it was just emotional flood, tears falling. I mean, it, you couldn't help it. You could just feel the Holy Spirit in there. So that's, I I kind of got reconnected with that, and so I got back out on, uh, back out on, uh, out on parole. Uh, I got out March 2nd of 2016, and I lived with my grandmother. Um, it's kind of who has, you know, been my other mother figure in my life just because i've spent over half my life with her as well living with them and uh did good um still was kind of on the fence with you know going not being going to church regularly and and so i go every once in a while thinking okay i'm good i you know i did the the checking of the box you know it's what i was you know what i was taught and i thought it was good and back in uh December, uh, actually on Christmas of 2017, both my mom and my grandmother went into the hospital. And, um, and unfortunately, my grandmother grandmother never came home. She passed away uh, January 10th. And then my mom was uh, diagnosed with leukemia on that Christmas as well, and she lost her life five months later, um, on June 11th. Um, And... I still was – I regret some of the – I mean, I fully regret everything that I've done up to – because I lost things that I couldn't – I can't get back, you know, because of my addiction. I I got rearrested and relapsed on June 5th and got just this past year um, and went into CJC. And then I missed my mom's funeral because of my – because of my addiction, and I missed the spreading of my grandmother's ashes, because of my addiction. And actually, it's you know, it's because of my sin. Um, and it's because I didn't have a good relationship with the Lord, and I was not, you know, looking forward. I was just looking around. I wasn't looking up. But uh, I did six more months um, with them, and I was sitting, I, I got, when I went back to DOC, um, just, you know, I just got out three months ago, but um, the, while I was in there, uh, for some reason, well, I know what the reason. But the, the Lord, he, I, he put me all over, and, all the way over to Rifle, Minnesota, or Rifle, Colorado, and and uh, I was there for five hours, and then I got put in the hole because I wasn't supposed to be there. Because the Lord, He didn't want me there. And and then for I sat there, and my family in June asked, told me about U-turn for Christ. And I was like, okay, you know, I think about it, and I uh, just didn't know what it was about. And I, as I was sitting, and you know, all I had the time was my Bible and me and the Lord. And I, and I, I think I almost read the whole Bible in a week, and I, <laughs> that's all I had to read. So, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely not the way to read it. But I was reading it, and uh, but I, I sat there and I prayed on it and, and wanted to know. You know, it, it took me almost four months to decide to come to U-turn for Christ, and. uh I called my aunt and uncle, and I said, you know, why don't you uh, give Pastor Jeff a call and tell him I want to come to U-Turn for Christ? Because I wanted to make sure I wanted to do it for the right reasons. I didn't want to do it as a tool to get out of prison just because to, to, I didn't want to be there anymore. I, wanted to, I needed to actually make sure this is what I wanted to do. Because I, I, I don't want to waste Pastor Jeff's time. I don't want to waste the Lord's time. You know, I want to. It needs to be what I wanted to do, and, and it it was a big step for me. So I got out on March sixth, and uh, I was still I was nervous. I was, still, I was still on the fence a little bit, you know, cause, just because I was going into something totally unknown. And uh, uh, six hours after I got out, I went I went you know I got out from right here in territorial, walked out the gates, went to Walmart. Got a bunch of clothes, this, that, and the other, and, and and showed up. And when I first got there, I was scared. Because I was looking in the, you know, I got there when when it was just being built out there. So I'm, I'm you know, the first night I looked around, I'm like, okay, where do we sleep? <laughs> I see a stack of beds, and I'm like, all right. And well, next thing you know, okay, line up, put all the beds out on the floor. So we had about 13 guys sleeping on the floor in this house, and I'm like, this is a, what is this, you know? (laughs) I was like, so I I slept, I prayed on it that night, and I woke up in a good mood, happy, and uh, I was like, all right. So I I just, I was gonna, you know, I was finally gonna let uh, someone else fix my problems instead of me trying to fix my problems, and that was Jesus, and, uh, and since I've been there, uh, I now have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because I've truly surrendered and laid my life at his feet. And uh, uh, one of our brothers that just graduated a couple weeks ago, uh, or actually might have been just last week, uh, he said, uh, the restoration doesn't start at U-turn for Christ. It starts at the cross. And I thought that was, you know, it, it's so true. And, uh, and since I've been there... You know, I, I've grown, and I, I've seen a I've seen a few guys come and go, in the program, and it makes me sad because you know, to see them leave because they're they're running away, you know, they're walking away from the Lord, and and I can't help them. And but I've realized now that it's not up to me to save anybody. It's up to it's between them and the Lord, and Jesus Jesus is the only one that knows what each and every one of us needs. So we just have to trust Him, even though it might not be what we want it might be a different direction we just have to trust him because he you know ultimately he knows what's what's best for us so uh, I'm excited you know to see what the next season has for me in my life and, and what it has in store for me because um, it's just you know I mean my life is totally different right now just in the last three months I'm, I'm at peace and I'm happy and I'm just it's it's just a world of difference and so I'd like to I'd like to close with a, a Bible verse out of, the, out, of the, out of my Bible here. That's something I read every day. It's kind of well, it's my life verse basically. So, and kind of a neat little backstory about this is uh, my uncle. He's been a long, He's been a Christian for the longest. Mm-hmm. I mean, ever since I was a little kid. And and when he first uh, surrendered and and gave up, uh, he actually picked this exact same verse. I had no clue. So it's, uh, it's in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. It says, uh, Now, <clears throat> not that I have already attained or I am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of, what, of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to, to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, and uh, thank you. That's all I got.
0: Putting him up here. Thank you, Charlie. Um, Guys, if you want to open again your Bible up to chapter 11 of the Gospel of Luke, we're going to be here this morning. And uh, as we begin and uh, read, I'm going to read through the first 13 verses and then we're going to pray. But I also want to pray for um, Pastor David as we pray for the other churches in the community. Uh, Pastor David is the pastor at the uh, Kenyan Community Baptist Church and he's up on rotation this week for praying for other churches in our community. I think it's important that we do so and pray for the the congregations. We have brothers and sisters who love Jesus uh, all over the place in this community and we stand united with them. So let's begin by reading. Um, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass, as he, speaking of Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And when he had and, when he, and, and he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him in the mid, go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot arise to give to you. And I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, and it will be given to you, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him let's pray father lord as you taught your disciples to pray we ask god that you would teach us this morning lord um we want to be able to commune with you in a way lord where we see you uh, moving in our lives where we see um you, Lord, working, um, bringing life forth into our lives and through our lives. And Lord, we want to just be connected to you as as much as we can this side of eternity. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit that is within us. And we ask God for a fresh and new outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Lord, um, as a helper, as a guide, as an intercessor on our behalf, Lord, knowing that. Um, you give good things. And Lord, we want to also lift up our brothers and sisters at the uh, Canyon Community Baptist Church there, Lord, on the north side of town. We're grateful, God, for that. I'm grateful for that church, Lord, because they teach your word also verse by verse and and um, in context. And then they see the value, Lord, of, of of allowing your word to go forth and and to do the work that it's set forth to do. So, for Pastor David, Lord, I pray you give him wisdom and understanding this morning. I pray, God, that you would fill him with your spirit to um, teach your word in truth. And God, for the people, our brothers and sisters there who are sitting in the chairs this morning, uh, we pray that they would have the ears to hear and the hearts to receive, Lord. And I ask the same thing for us here. Thank you for the U-Turn for Christ ministry. Thank you for the work that you've done in Charlie and in, the, in our doing in in him and the rest of the guys at U-Turn, and Lord, for the work that you have done and are doing in our lives, Lord, um, you are uh, the answer. Restoration does start at the cross, and Lord, you've done a good work of restoring us to you and restoring back to us the years that the, our sin has eaten and taken away. And Lord, as we trust in you more today, we pray you would do that work again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Look back to verse one, and if you go back to verse one, we're going to see that these that these thirteen verses, as I read them all together, that they are the answer. Now, these thirteen verses is the answer to the to the question that was asked by or told one of his disciples uh, disciples who wanted to be taught how to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but that's prayer is something that I want to know more about. Uh, I feel often, um, I'm, I, I am ignorant so often in how to pray and what to pray for and when to pray and, and, and so many different things about prayer that I just don't know about. And and so here Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And, and we read here in verse 1, we're told that this certain, this certain disciple, so it wasn't all of them, it was one disciple, a certain disciple had asked this, this, this statement, teach us to pray. But he did within the context, it's interesting, within the context we're told of John the Baptist having taught his disciples how to pray. Teach us to pray like John has taught, had taught his disciples to pray. And of course you know, contextually speaking on the timeline, John's dead at this point, right? John's ministry is over, many years have passed, and 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 yet John is still remembered. And in my, in my own curiosity, and just a little, maybe a little rabbit trail, but in, a, in my own curiosity, I wonder which one of the disciples it was. Which one of the disciples it was that finally got around to asking Jesus this question, asking Jesus to teach them to pray, and especially in light of the fact that All twelve of them. These are these this key inner circle. All twelve of them have been following Jesus now for three years, and they were just now. One of them was just now getting the courage, or found it necessary, or whatever, to get around to finally asking such an important question. And um, as I begin to think in my mind which one it is, I start to rule out certain ones. I do. I go into this. This like CSI mode, if you will, is investigating mode. And, and what I know is that it could not have been Andrew and John. And I know that because Andrew and John were the two, two out of the 12, the only two out of the 12 who had been with John the Baptist as his disciples, and I think that's key to the study as we begin to look at this a little bit. But we know that that they would they would have been taught by John how to pray because when Jesus came before John, Andrew and or John the Baptist, Andrew and John were were, were John's disciples, and they left John to come and come and follow after Jesus. So it's unlikely that they were the ones to have asked this question. But I suspect, I suspect that the mention of John the Baptist being uh, having taught his disciples how to pray was probably the result of conversations that Andrew and John had with the other disciples about what John had taught them. Think about it. You know, We think about, why did this come up now? And I don't know for sure, but as we look back to what we've read, we know it wasn't too long ago that nine of them had failed at casting out a demon right? when they had been previously successful. And we talked about all this, but Jesus said, hey, listen, the reason why this demon doesn't come out is because you've not been praying. You've not been fasting. It's through prayer and fasting. And so the, the whole idea, the whole topic of fasting and prayer was, was fresh on their minds. And you know, they were walking as we were in the Sea of Galilee area, and we saw what the terrain was like, and where Jesus went, and his disciples went, and, and as they would be walking from place to place, I'm sure they'd have these conversations. And and maybe John and, and Andrew, much like any of us, would be going, well, well, if, if we want to be successful in, in, in you know delivering demons from people, we need to, to be praying and fasting, but we also need to be, to be knowing how to pray as well. And this is what, this is what John taught us. And so perhaps this, this, this conversations had come up as well to Andrew and John talking to them about what John the Baptist had taught them. So, so, but whatever, whatever one of the disciples it was who finally asked Jesus to teach them to pray, I think that um, their request was an important one. I think their request is an important one, and I think that it probably should have been asked long before now. But for our sake, I'm glad that one of them finally did ask so that we too may be taught by Jesus to pray, taught by Jesus to pray. Now, when we think about John the Baptist, I don't know about you, but I typically remember him as the grasshopper-eating, camel-clothed, skin prophet who came to prepare the way for the Messiah, who had his head cut off by Herod the evil king, right? Right? I don't know about you, but that's, and I think, you know, he's, he's a weird dude, and I picture him, he's eating locusts and honey, and he had a beard, and he's probably all dirty, and you know, grasshopper legs stuck in there, I don't know, but that's, that's what I think of when I think about John the Baptist, you know, the guy that had the wild eye look in his eye, and it's just like, I'm not so sure about that guy, he's different, right? And yet what we see here is that Jesus' disciples remember John the Baptist as a man of prayer, He was remembered by them as a man of prayer. I'm sure they thought that dude's a little kooky too, but he is also a man of prayer, and that's how he's remembered here. And the Bible teaches us that John the Baptist was a unique individual, not because of the way he dressed or or the voice in the wilderness crying out, you know, prepare the way of the Lord, not because he was that, but he was a unique individual. The Bible teaches us because think about it. He was filled with the Holy Spirit even while he was still in his mother's womb. Wow. And yet, he was a man who needed to pray. Filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb. But yet, John, who is known as a man of prayer, was a man who needed to pray. Furthermore, John was privileged. He was a privileged person. He was the one who was called or sent or ordained to prepare the way for and introduce the Messiah to Israel, God's people. And yet, he was a man in need of prayer. In fact, in Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus said himself about John, speaking to the uniqueness of this individual, he said, he is the greatest of all the prophets, John. And yet, we see that he was still a man in need of prayer. And so my point is, is if prayer was a, was a needful and important thing for John the Baptist, who had, who had such a wonderful spiritual resume... Uh, it should be even more important for us who do not. And and not that we grade ourselves in these things, but you look at this guy, and you would think, if this guy, if any guy, right, he's the guy. And what did he example to his disciples, to those who followed him as he pointed him to Christ? He pointed out that prayer is important. It's a needful thing. And and if prayer prayer was a, a needful, important thing for John the Baptist, it should be even more important for us. Therefore, I think it's safe to say that, that prayer, guys, which is a gift from God, we see this. You see Jesus like unwrapping this for them as he begins to this. Teach us to pray. And it's like Jesus, in my mind, he has this awesome, wonderful thing right here. And he's like, okay, okay, here you go. I'm going to teach you to pray. And he begins to unwrap it. And he begins to teach them. He begins to explain it. And he gives them some examples and some principles and, and, and for them to lay hold of and able to, to, to enable them and equip them to speak to God the Father. And it's a gift from God, and I think it's a gift from God that we often underutilize when we need to really place it in this, take it as as something of high priority, put it as a high priority in our lives. And perhaps the greatest argument for the high priority that prayer should be given is the fact that Jesus, who is our ultimate example, right? Jesus, we see over and over and over again, was a man of prayer. Was he not? You know, there are many places in the Bible where we're told that Jesus prayed. And I look, just for the sake of, 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 of example, in the Gospel of Luke alone, I just was looking at this leading up to this point. In the Gospel of Luke alone, there are six different individual accounts leading up to this conversation that Luke records for us, where we read that Jesus prayed in 10 chapters, six different times. The first is back in chapter 3, verse 21, where Jesus prayed after he had been baptized by John. The second was in chapter 5, verse 16, where it says that Jesus went into wilderness to pray at a times when all the crowds were following him had increased. And then in chapter 6, verse 12, we see that Jesus again prayed. And we know he did so at that time before he chose the 12 disciples. Lord, which ones? Who are these guys that are going to be in this inner circle, the one who's going to lead after I'm gone? And then there's two additional places where we read about Jesus praying in chapter 9, verse 18, before he asked the 12, remember, for their confessions of faith. You remember he said, oh, who do the people say that I am? Jesus prayed before he went down this road with them in this conversation, this very important conversation because he was leading them to the point. He, didn't, he, he, he wasn't so much interested in what the people were saying about him as much as what his disciples thought of him. Who do you say that I am? And yet Jesus prayed before that, we're told, before he asked for their confession of faith. And then again, verse chapter 9, verse 28, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, it says that Jesus prayed. And then for a sixth time in this chapter here, according to what we read in verse 1, right of chapter 11, it says that Jesus was praying and that when he ceased, one of his disciples said, it's like, it's like the light finally went off. Ding! right? You ever have those aha moments? Maybe I should ask Jesus. uh, This prayer thing looks kind of important. And not that the Hebrew people did not pray, but obviously there was something different in what Jesus did and how he did it. And they wanted that. Teach us to pray is what he said. Lord, teach us to pray. And because the disciples had observed Jesus praying, I believe they were then moved to ask him to teach them to pray. So by Jesus's example, the disciples understood clearly, right, that the prayer is and was an important thing, and that prayer needed to have a place of high priority in their lives, because the one they followed had it in such a high priority in his life. And if Jesus, think about this, if Jesus, the perfect son of God, God in the flesh, the perfect son of God, depended on prom prayer. When he was here, then his disciples had a need all the more to pray. And we, like the disciples, we need Jesus to teach us to pray. Considering prayer is such a simple thing, think about it. Charles talking about his uncle leading him in prayer. You, want, you know, he's a little kid. You want, you, want to put, you want to accept Jesus in your heart? Yeah. He prayed. Back in Sunday school, in the the morning, all of our kids back there, our Sunday school teachers, pray with our kids. We do. It's such a simple thing that even the smallest child can pray. Yet prayer, when we think about it, at the same time, prayer is such a great thing that the mightiest man of God can never say that they've truly mastered prayer. Who here can say that? I've mastered prayer. It's profound in so many ways. And in these verses that follow, Jesus gracefully went on to teach his disciples to pray, and how to pray and, and how to pray is, is let me put it this way: prayer is provision for every need, for our every need. Prayer is provision for our every need. And I, I state it like that because we sometimes think of prayer as the vehicle by which we get every need met. No. The relationship, the communication, prayer in itself, what comes after that is, 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 is a, a byproduct, if you will. But life isn't found in what God gives to us or how he answers this. Life is found in relationship with God. Imagine never speaking to your spouse. I was gone from my wife for 10 days. I hated it, by the way. I love being in Israel, but I, I've been married my wife for 26 years now, and I don't know, there's some weird connection thing going on after all these years. And I missed her a lot, not being able to talk with her. Having a relationship with God, so many people say they do, but they never talk. And that's why I say, listen again, listen to this. Prayer is the provision for our every need. Prayer is. And often we think that the provision for our need is in what we pray for. Oh, Lord, won't you just give me a Mercedes-Benz, right? (laughs) It's not. And not only that, not only is prayer the provision for our every need, prayer is the solution for every problem we face. Prayer is the solution. Prayer. Prayer is the solution for every problem we face. And I think we get so mixed up in our prayer life, and when we look at this, we'll see what Jesus teaches. We think that prayer is somehow the means by which we then get what we need or the means by which our problem is fixed. Again, that's just the byproduct of it, and God will work through that. He goes at the very end of this, right? Ask and knock and seek, all these things. But, but first and foremost, prayer is prayer is provision, and prayer is the solution. It was Andrew Murray. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over this little old book I have. I'm so grateful I have this book. It's a wonderful thing. I'm going to tell you more about it. It was written by Andrew Murray. He also wrote a lot of other books. He's in a, a, a late 18th century um, uh, pastor from South Africa who wrote a lot of different books. He was very involved in missions. One of my favorite books is, is Humility. But anyway, Andrew Moore, Murray wrote about prayer, and he said this. He said, listen, he said, It's on prayer that the promises of God wait for their fulfillment. It's on prayer that the promises of God waits for their fulfillment. The kingdom of God waits for its coming and the glory of God for its full revelation. He goes on to say, and because of this, Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, only how to pray. He did not speak much of what they needed to preach well and what they needed to preach well, but much of praying well, to know how to speak to God is more important than knowing how to speak to man. Not power with men, but power with God is the first thing. And so as Jesus began to teach his disciples to pray, the first thing he did was to give them this pattern or model for prayer here in verses two through four. And he said, When he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And he goes on, give us our our day by day, our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and sin is a debt, and and, and to not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we call this prayer, right, the Lord's Prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But understand, we don't call it the Lord's Prayer because Jesus prayed it. We We call it the Lord's Prayer because Jesus taught it. And as we begin to look at this model prayer, it's important to point out that Jesus warned in Matthew 6, verse 7, against praying with repetition, vain repetition. Do not pray in a vain or repetitious way. And he said this in verse 7. He said, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. This is hardcore, as the heathens do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. And praying in vain in a vain and repetitious way is praying words that do not have any real meaning to our lives, right? And this model prayer and others like it that people choose to recite can often be spoken with a vain repetition. However, there's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer personally, individually. You can pray this as a prayer or we can pray it corporately as a congregation. There's nothing wrong with it. So as long as we do it with a believing and sincere heart that is submitted to the words we speak. Right? In light of this, I'll be the first to admit that it's easy to recite a prayer that is familiar and go through the motions of speaking words to God, even at dinner time. Lord, thank you for the food that we're about to receive, these things. Uh, and go through the motions of speaking to words to God and whatever it is, with never really concerning ourselves with, with, or considering ourselves with the words that we're actual, actually praying. It can be easy to do. We can all fall into that. In other words, when we, uh, and, and let me say this, and I, and I probably believe for, for Christians, and I'm not judging any of you or, or individually, but I'm just saying in general, it probably happens most often as we sing songs of worship together on a Sunday morning. This kind of vain and repetitious thing. In other words, when we sing the words, but our hearts and minds are far removed from the words of worship that are flowing out of our mouths. If you sometimes, sometimes Debbie chooses songs, and I'm like, I'm not singing that. You know, that's a hard. Am I really praying that? That can be hard things. And I, not that I want fluffy songs. I don't. want <laughs> anything. But I'm just saying, if you, you know, we're singing and we're in the we're in the moment, and it's cool. But think about it. We're praying through a song before the Lord. And Jesus warns against just praying these things out, speaking these words out without really considering it. And this is a a huge principle of prayer that we need to look at as we communicate to God. But when we pray to God, these things should not be where we're just letting them flow without our mind being engaged. So this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, has primarily been given to us in order to guide us as we pray. Okay, It's a guide. It's a map. Jesus is unpacking how to pray. And in a real sense, it's a roadmap on how to pray effectively. And, 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 and it's important for us to pray effectively. Don't you want to pray effectively? It's important for us to pray effectively because James points out in verses five, chapter 5 of verse 16, he says, The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Man, I, that's, that's one of my biggest pet peeves is, to, is um, waste. You know, where, where you do something and, you, like, plumbing for me is the hardest thing because I can plumb all day long and get nothing fixed. Five drive trips to the hardware store and still a leak. Right? Okay, so, and maybe there's other things. Maybe you ladies, and I've done this too, I like to cook, I like to cook, and sometimes it doesn't turn out very well. It burns or it's not. I forget. You know, it's like, I just went through all this time and this effort, and it avails nothing but how much more so in prayer? We want it to avail much. So teach us to pray. And I believe that all of this desire for our prayers to be beneficial, for our prayers to be heard, and for our prayers to be answered by God. In light of this, we see with the first thing Jesus teaches us by this model prayer, the very first thing, if you're hopefully you got some notes already, but some additional notes, is that prayer is dependent upon a relationship with God. This is this is the first thing I see through the model prayer. Prayer is dependent upon a relationship with God. Specifically, as verse 2 points out, just not any other kind of relationship. You know, the kind of relationship that it depends upon is a privileged relationship. A privileged relationship that enables us to come and call upon God as our Father in heaven, and this can only come, we know, through our faith in Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, it tells us, listen, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Jesus didn't save us and, and go, okay, now you're mine, you're shackled to me, you better live in fear. That's not what he's saying. He's saying. He says, but, but you received the spirit of adoption to whom we cry out, literally, my, my emphasis as kids, literally kids to their dad going, Abba, Daddy, Father, And the Spirit himself, who is within us, bears witness with our spirit that we are in this privileged relationship. Children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So effective prayer that avails much stands upon a privileged relationship with God. And when we who have a relationship with God, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, Come before God in prayer it 's with the same privilege and it 's with the same favor as a child does when he comes to his father and makes his request known and and for me it 's it 's I love my boys, but your your guys guys your daughters have got a little soft spot. My wife says tells me all the time, you know you would never have done that for the boys yeah you 're probably right <laughs> i I love them, I do something else, but daddy, yes, dear, you know. I got to be careful of that. And they got to be careful of that too. But it's the same kind of way. And dad, dad. And our Heavenly Father, think about this. Um, so we come as, as kids and we, as to a father, but more importantly, we come as kids to a Heavenly Father who's not like any earthly father. Amen. We come to to kids to a heavenly father who is not like any earthly father. We come to a heavenly father who is holy, hallowed be your name, holy. To a God, to a father who loves us perfectly. Perfectly. And we come to a heavenly father who is always going to do good and always give us what is best. Privileged relationship, however true relationship True relational prayer, guys. When we see it like this, just like any relationship, it involves responsibility. Prayer involves responsibility because it's a privileged relationship. Specifically, that we by our prayers—listen—it's relational. It's privileged. There's responsibility with that, and the responsibility is that this is that by our prayers, um, by our prayers we will honor God's kingdom, which we. Are citizens of. By our prayers, we will honor God's kingdom by which we're citizens of. And in doing that, it's an obedience to His will, is it not? Not my will, but your will be done. And this is why we're told to pray. Listen, this is where it rests in. Hallowed be your name. And this word hallowed means set apart, holy. And when we say that God's name is hallowed, when we say that God's name is holy, when we say that God's name is set apart, Dad, you are holy. Dad, you are set apart. We are saying this, there's no one like you. God, there is no one like you. And what I mean by that, he's completely unique. And this is this understanding reminds me; it reminds us that even though we call upon God with this privileged title as Father, that demonstrates a privileged relationship. The purpose of prayer, what it demonstrates to me, is that the purpose of prayer is to not get my will, man's will, done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. And see, that's that's what makes it. That's why there's responsibility to it. God, your will be done, as it is in heaven. Not my will be done. You see, we see that that prayer is then in this. We see that prayer is not telling God, our heavenly Father, what we want, and then like some bratty kid going away to selfishly enjoy it. Sometimes my girls will do that when I answer their requests. (laughs) But you see, it's not like that. Rather, prayer is asking God to use us to accomplish what He wants so that His name is glorified, so that His kingdom is expanded and strengthened, and so that His will is done here on this earth. And in light of this, guys, we must examine. We must examine this morning and, and really test all of our personal requests by these two principles. Again, if you're taking notes. First principle, does it honor God's kingdom? And by them are we obeying his will these two principles have to be employed into our prayer life if we expect god to hear us and if we expect for him to answer our prayers if we expect to pray effectively and fervently where there is much that avails does it honor god's kingdom and by our request, are we seeking to obey his will? But once, guys, once we're secure in our relationship with God and in his will, Jesus, teaching us to pray by this model prayer, he also goes on to tell us to bring our request to God. He says it, 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 all these things, right, you know, in consideration of God's will and God's kingdom, he, he says it's also about you bringing your request, right, in verses 3 and 4. Give us daily bread. Forgive us our sins, Lead us not into temptation. Those are personal things, intimate things. And so we can ask our Heavenly Father to provide for our needs, guys, just not our greeds. That's the difference. But notice that the requests we're instructed to make, they they have to do with our physical needs and our spiritual needs. Okay? On two planes. Physical and spiritual And really, these things are, are, are broken down into three categories. The first is our material and physical provision. And when praying for this, we're to ask for enough for the day, okay, for our daily bread. Not a warehouse of bread. And this should remind us of the manna, I think, that God provided for his children as they made their way from Egypt to the promised land. And if you remember, at that time, God provided food for his children and commanded them daily to gather the manna which fell down from heaven. In fact, they were commanded to not take more. There was more there than what they needed. But he said, do not take more than the day's provision lest it become infested with worms. You remember, they kept it overnight in the pots and the next morning it was rotted, it was putrefied. There was worms. Literally, it began to stink. And the point is, guys, is when we look to God to provide our daily bread, it reminds us of our dependence on him and our need for him. And this is a good thing, daily, to know these things. But when we don't come to God for our daily provision, you know what happens? We start to believe that we have been, that, that what we've been given is something that we've then earned for ourselves. And then our lives in that moment becomes like the manna that was kept overnight. What do I mean by that? In that it rots, it putrefies. Our, ro- our lives begin to, 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 to stink of selfishness. Self-centered rather than other-centered when we, when we lose sight of our dependency upon God. And so our Father in heaven cares about our physical needs, about, about everyday things, and we should pray for them pray about them but but we we know he cares about our spiritual well-being as well and we're reminded in this model prayer that that god is the one who we are to come to in order to have our daily spiritual needs provided for also and the greatest need that any of us has on a day-to-day basis is this need to be forgiven to forgive those And 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 not only not only to have our sins forgiven, but this ability, and we have this need for this ability to forgive those who sin against us. Because I tell you what, I can't do that on my own. On my own, I don't want to forgive those who sin against me. I wanna I want vengeance. You know, I don't even want to get even, I want to get ahead. Lord, I need you to forgive me of my sins and I need you to help me forgive those sins of others. And it is. It's a day-to-day thing. And so just like bread is the first need of the body, so too is forgiveness the first need of our soul. But once again, we see that God's forgiveness of us once again we see it that is d- deeply and intimately connected and united God's forgiveness with us of our forgiveness of others why because it reminds us that we must and can forgive others who sin against us because God has and is daily ready to forgive us anytime we ask for his forgiveness amen and in lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 and 23 it's we were reminded of this where it says though the lords through the lords mercies we are not consumed why because his compassion fails not they are new every morning great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness furthermore we have a need to forgive others because unforgiveness you've heard this but let me look at it let me put it this way unforgiveness is a recipe for spiritual destruction in our lives not only because god says He will forgive us to the same measures that we forgive others, but also because unforgiveness leads to bitterness. And bitterness is like drinking poison and thinking that it's going to hurt the person who we're unwilling to forgive, and consequently, in our unforgiveness, we are then the one who is hurt. Recipe for spiritual destruction. Now, the last category of request, which we see in this model prayer, is for God's divine protection and direction. So for our for our physical provision, for our spiritual our spiritual needs as well, you know these are again this is just a model. There's many more things that fall underneath our spiritual need, our physical needs than prayer. Or I mean, excuse me, than, than uh, bread, like maybe ice cream. <laughs> but yeah, we have all kinds of physical needs, and this is just an example. But the the, the principle behind that is day to day, right? Lord, today provide. Lord, today provide. And then there's many other spiritual we needs we we need other than forgiveness for God to to, for us to pray about. And, And and but these Christ mentions these things because this is these are first because without food, right, there's you don't need clothes. You can die. And without and the same thing spiritually, There's, we can desire all kinds of things spiritually, but if if we don't first deal with this issue of forgiveness, our need to be forgiven, and then our, our our call to forgive others, everything else spiritually in the recipe doesn't matter. So those are the first two things: spiritual needs, physical needs, but additionally, we see that we also have this need for God's divine to pray for God's divine protection and, and for god's divine direction for god to lead us and for god to deliver us lead me and deliver me lead me and deliver me why do we need the deliverance part because we don't always follow so well even though we say lead lead me and deliver me you know that that awesome prayer lord help And if we seek to pray this way, guys, we can be sure of praying in God's will. We can be sure of it. Now, as we consider what Jesus taught his disciples, we see that he pointed out to them three key principles. Okay, let me kind of re- recap. The first principle, which we looked at, is in verse 1. And it is that prayer is based upon sonship, not friendship. Is deeper, Is privileged. Prayer is based upon sonship, not friendship. So when we come to God in prayer, it's with the same privilege and the same favor that a child has with their own father. But then as we continue on, that was the first principle by which all these other things are brought forth in the model prayer. But then as we read on, I'm not gonna reread it, but look there in verses five through eight, Jesus continues to teach his disciples to pray and he gives them this example, this crazy example. I'm like, if anybody comes knocking on my door at 12 in the morning asking for for bread, they're gonna, they're gonna get they're going to be told to go away, but maybe more than that, too. <laughs> the point is, is, is Jesus uses the example of this neighbor who came at midnight, and, and this, in this example is this second principle, a second principle for prayer. Uh, 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 it teaches us um, that we're to be persistent in prayer. You know, Charlie read about in Philippians about pressing on towards the goal. All over in Scripture, we're told to press on, to endure, to continue, to not give up, to press forward, to run the race, to not give up easily. You know, I heard it said before it's always too soon to quit. When should I quit? It's always too soon to quit. Don't quit. And, and that's this message also in a principle of prayer as Christ is teaching us how to pray, teaching us to pray Is he's saying, don't quit, don't give up. And in Jesus' teaching to be doing a principle, this principle of being persistent, he gives this example of, of really this grouchy and tired neighbor who finally got out of bed to give his neighbor what he was asking for just so he'd stop pounding on his door in the middle of the night. Fine, I'll give you the bread, get out of here. But understand, we're not, this is not a comparison. We're being taught a principle. Lots of times, I've heard people say, "Oh, this is this is this is this is like comparing it's a comparison to God in heaven." No, we come as sons. We're privileged, you know, in, in these ways. In this thing, it, it, it's it's an example to teach this 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 point of principle. The point is, is if persistence, if the persistence of the unwanted neighbor finally paid off because he kept knocking on the door of a rec- reluctant friend, how much more then will our persistence to keep praying bring? god's blessing since we his children are praying to a loving and heavenly father it's this to me it's this picture of the of the um prodigal son even where was the father at when the son finally came home he was in the field watching and waiting and it's like this god's god's like right here what do you need what do you want i'm here i'm here i'm here we don't have to go hunting for him, searching for him, but we're all called, we are called to pray with persistence. And, and let me go back to the very beginning of this because it's, it's, prayer isn't about what we get as a result of prayer. It's not about the provision. It's, not about, it's, not about, it's about the relationship. And so really it's even, a, it's even a, a greater example of this is when Jesus took the, the small child up on his lap and he said, you know, do not forbid these to come to me. And where did Jesus put that kid? Right here. And, and being persistent is just going and sitting on your dad's lap and staying there. Lord, this is where I'm going to be. With you. It's about persistence. Prayer is about persistence. about remaining, abiding in that place. When should we pray, the Bible says? How often? Always, without ceasing. Now, the last principle of prayer that Jesus taught is in verses 9 through 13, where Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. In doing so, Jesus went on to explain this principle, that God who loves us is going to answer our prayers by always giving us what is good, so we can pray, therefore, with all confidence. How many times have you like prayed and just like, I'm not sure about that one. Because you're like, be careful what you pray for, because you might just get it i- i really I hate that as if God's like, okay, like if God's like me, okay, son, you really want that? <laughs> Go ahead, touch it. God's not like us, Guys, we can pray with confidence, even when we pray amiss. Even when we pray amiss, we can pray with confidence that God still remains good to us. And this principle points out the fact that we're not going to always get what we pray for, no matter how persistent we are. And this is because we sometimes we pray and we ask for things that are not good, meaning we ask for things that are outside of God's will. However, we can rest assured that even when we ask amiss, And when we unknowingly ask for something that would be harmful, because sometimes it's not about just like, oh, God, I'm pretty sure I need a million bucks. You know, sometimes we can be genuine in this place where I'm like, I just don't know for sure. Lord, show me, reveal it to me. Only give me what's good we pray in sincerely and genuinely in all these ways. We're effectively and fervently going forth. And, and, and we, we, we have some kind of fear like, well, maybe I'm going to get what I'm asking for and it's not going to be good for me. What am I supposed to do? How am I? And it's not like that. Because even if we ask for something that would be harmful, God, who is better than early, any earthly father, will not give it to us. Why? Because he's a father who only knows how to give good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father who is above. I'm going to end with this. I'm not going to read it from here because Andrew Murray writes in the Old English, and I can't read that well that way with these and thous and thuses. And um, so I kind of translated it out to modern English. But this book is called With Christ in the School of Prayer. It's an old book, but it's awesome. And it's a difficult read. I'm just going to tell you, at least for me, it's a difficult read. It's one of those books where I have to reread and reread what I just read and reread what I just read. And then finally, it's like, I get it. And But when, you, when I understand it, it's awesome. And um, in, at the end of chapter 1, he, he talks about us being enrolling with Christ in the school of prayer. And, man, he goes through all kinds of stuff. But he has at the end of chapter 1 this prayer, a wonderful prayer for, for new students in Jesus' school of prayer. I'll close with this. Debbie, if you want to come forward the rest of the worship team. Listen, it said, Bless, Blessed Lord, and I'm, gonna, I'm really going to try to just pray this more than just read it to you, and maybe you want to pray along as you listen and meditate on the words. It, said, it says, He says, Blessed Lord, Whoever lives to pray, you can teach me to pray, me to ever live to pray. In this you love to make me share your glory in heaven, that I should pray without ceasing and ever stand as a priest in the presence of my God. Lord Jesus, I ask you this day to enroll my name among those who confess that they do not know how to pray as they ought and specifically ask you for a course in teaching in in prayer. Lord, teach me to wait with you in the school and give you time to train me. May a deep sense of my ignorance, the wonderful privilege and power of prayer and of the need of the Holy Spirit as the spirit of prayer to lead me and cast away my thoughts of what I think I know and make me kneel before you in true teachableness and poverty of spirit. And fill me, Lord, with the confidence that with a teacher like you, I shall learn to pray in the assurance that I have as my teacher, Jesus, who is ever praying to the Father, and by his prayer, rules the destinies of his church and the world. I will not be afraid as much as I need to know the mysteries of prayer of the prayer world. You will fold for me, and when I may not know, you will teach me to be strong in faith, giving glory to God. Blessed Lord, you will not put to shame your student your student who trusts in you, nor by your grace would he be put, put you, nor by your grace would he put you to shame either. Amen. Will you stand? And Lord, I ask this would be our prayer, that you would teach us and we would come to you in a spirit of, of, of need and humility and teachableness. Lord, thank you for what you've already showed to us this morning. And Lord, may we take these, this knowledge, this information, and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship. All the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice.